So this morning we're getting into Acts chapter 10, and as you see in the bulletin I've entitled this morning's sermon, Good People Need Jesus Too. I think we all have a friend, acquaintance, or a family member that we would call Pagan, with a capital P, um, and we've tried to witness too. But what about good people? Witnessing to good people. I mean those who are moral, well-disciplined, prayerful, religious, devout, virtuous, reverent, church-going, influential, giving, obedient, and whatever else you want to add to the list. How do we talk, witness, to them? Maybe that's you this morning. I'm a good person. I believe in God. I help when I can, etc. And guys, that's a large percent of unchurched people today in America would fall into that category. And yes, we need to be sharing the gospel with all people. This morning, guys, we're going to see Christianity is for good people as well as sinners. Good people need Jesus, and the best people, they need a Savior. The Bible addresses many of these good people, doesn't it? I know none are good, right? Not one. That's what the Bible declares. So even if we think we're good, God says, no, you're not. And your opinion isn't going to matter when all said and done. <laughs> so the Bible addresses this clearly. We have the elder brother spoken of in the parable of the prodigal son. He was in no less need of the father's love than his little brother, was he? Even though he didn't <clears throat> or hadn't went and sown his own wild oats. We also have the example of the rich young ruler or the Ethiopian eunuch that we recently looked at. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He said this, You cannot go on being a good egg forever. You must either hatch or rot. Now, this morning we're going to meet a guy by the name of Cornelius. I like Cornelius. If his name wasn't so corny, we probably would have named one of our kids Cornelius. So whose <laughs> who's conversion? This man, his conversion, okay? It really marked the beginning of the church's missionary activity among Gentiles. They knew that God so loved the world that it wasn't just for Jews. They knew that Jesus would be a light to the Gentiles, as Simeon said. And they knew that they were to be a witness, or witnesses where? To the ends of the world, to all peoples. But uh, what were the precise terms of entrance how would this exactly play out look like well to become a jew or come direct uh <laughs> it had come on their terms okay the same terms as a jew remember the evangelic message of the day was find god and become a jew that's what people knew that's what they understood also note that the most space is given um, to what we're about 
to get into this morning, Acts chapter 10, this message to Gentiles. It is the most space given to any one story in the entire book of Acts. So this set before us, what we're considering here right now is very important to God to take this much space (laughs) for us to consider. So a good man is in need of a savior. That's the one thing at least I see with Cornelius because we're told he's a good man, known by God and by his messenger. And, and what a sterling character for you and I. One of the finest characters, I think, in all of the New Testament. So let's read of him here this morning in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to people and prayed to God always. In about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants, a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And so when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now the first thing that pops out to me about this Gentile man is that he feared God. Man, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. There's so much for any person who will stand in that place of being truly in awe, (laughs) to truly fear God Almighty. And this is a Gentile man who feared the living God. Most scholars agree that this term, that he feared God, okay, is a technical term describing a Gentile who attached himself to Judaism, but chose not to undergo the formal conversion, which includes circumcision in a public immersion in baptism or a proselyte you guys have heard that term before so the jews would call them proselytes of the gate see they were attracted to judaism to worshiping one god okay monotheism the high moral standards in their life their lifestyle but for various reasons they didn't become jews so this is cornelius this is who he was so gentiles that become proselytes were no longer gentiles god fearers were still gentiles thus still considered unclean now we know told he's from caesarea that's about 30 miles north from joppa which is jaffa today Okay? In 6 AD, it became the official home for the Roman procurators. Um, the administration officials of the day settled there in Caesarea. Okay? It was their seat of government. There they were digging up. Uh, they wanted to make a water park there in Caesarea uh, along the sea. And they began to dig up and they found an old theater. 
And there, you guys know of Pontius Pilate? For a long time, they said, the skeptics said, Pontius Pilate, we have no record of him. We, it's a made-up character. See, we can't believe the Gospels. And they said this for many years. Well, they wanted to put in a water park, and then they found this awesome theater where they wanted to build it. They started digging it up, and guess what? They find a stone backside of one of the tables that was used, and there it tells of Pontius Pilate and who he was and what he was up to. You know, it's just like, all right. <laughs> That's what I love about the world. The more skepticism that comes, the more God just throws out here, more proof. You know, it's all true. Anyways, um, though a Gentile, okay, he was a worshiper of the one true God. And I think that's very cool um, about him. Now, if we connect uh, the end of verse 6, and you flip over to chapter 11, verse 14, what must you do (laughs) to be saved? Isn't that what it's all about in this life? It doesn't matter what you do. The only thing that matters in this life is what you do with Jesus. (laughs) Do you get saved for eternity in this life. That's the only thing that matters, guys. Now, let's pick it back up in chapter 10, verse 9. I grew up on pigs in a blanket. How many of you guys like those? Hot dog, those very healthy crescent rolls. <laughs> You're wrapping around them. Mom used to make those for us growing up. I loved those. Um, yeah, we, we see it right here in Scripture, okay? <laughs> verse 9, the next day. As they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And then he became very hungry, and he wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at four corners descending to him and let down to earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. That was a little attitude that answer. I don't know if you really said it that way. but <laughs> Verse 15, And a voice spoke to him again the second time, When God is cleansed, you must not call common. And this was done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. So there's these divinely synchronized visions going on here in chapter 10. God has prepared both Peter and Cornelius. Funny, it's lunchtime, right? He's starved for some shawarma. um, But God speaks to him with food. I don't know about you guys, but... Uh, hunger is always a nice medium for teaching. Um, <laughs> one of the reasons Jesus didn't associate with Gentiles, uh, or sorry, Jews didn't associate with Gentiles, would be because they were observing the Mosaic law, the dietary laws that came with it. We read a lot of that back in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 11 specifically calls out which animals could be eaten and which ones couldn't be eaten. The could, whatever, uh, has a divided hoof and chews its cud, could be eaten, couldn't, you know, if only had one, you couldn't. So a pig, they had a divided hoof, but doesn't chew the cud. You have like a rock badger, chews cud, but has a split hoof. So they took that stuff serious. What can we eat? 
And I think for all of us, old habits die hard, don't they? This is the way Peter's always lived. He was a good Jewish boy. I've never eaten anything unclean. You know, how could this, what, what is going on? What's these visions about? Okay, this doesn't make any sense to me. But God was trying to show him something, to teach him something. Look at verse 14 again. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. So God was about to do a new thing, and he wanted Peter to, you know, to get it. Not to hold on to what he's known. Here's something new. You need to understand, Peter. I guess we're going to have to talk food to make sense for, you know, us guys, I think, can relate to that. Uh, talk to me in Culver's metaphors, and I'll totally understand what you're trying to get across. <laughs> so it's interesting how the unbeliever was more flexible than the believer here. You guys see that? Okay, it was like, what's going on? And I think we're guilty of that often as believers. You see, Cornelius, he was immediately obedient, wasn't he? Lord spoke, okay, <laughs> on it. Peter, what did he do? Not so, Lord. The unbeliever, okay, Lord. The believer still trying to catch up to the heart of God here. So we're not any different today when God wants to do a new thing are we? Show Christ's love to a Muslim right after 9-11. Really? Show Christ's love and to pray for the Palestinians in Gaza just as much as we pray for the Jews in Jerusalem. To show Christ's love to a homosexual or a transvestite as you would with somebody who was heterosexual. Yes, we passionately hold to timeless truths, and we need to. But what if he wants to change our methods to be timely methods? Yes, we are to be biblically faithful. and We're going to do that here at Freedom. But what if he wants to change us because, he no long, because it's no longer culturally fruitful? It's not working. We're not able to impact others with the gospel. Yes, we contend for the faith, right? Jude chapter 3. But how do we respond when he asks us to contextualize our approach? In other words, guys, become all things to all people if it means they might get saved, right? You see Paul to the Jews in the synagogues versus the Greeks at Mars Hills. We, we see that in Scripture. And we, I believe, need to be open you see, some hold hands open to both doctrine and practice. Anything goes. Whatever, okay? Others are so rigid and closed hand to both doctrine and practice. Good for doctrine, but we'll never change our practice because this is the way we've been doing it the last hundred years, and we'll do it for the next hundred years. But Jesus showed us the best way is and was to have a closed hand on doctrine and an open hand with practice. You see, that's what the religious folks accused him of before they murdered him, wasn't it? In the name of religion. Are you ready if God wants to do a new thing in your heart and your life? If you're not, you're not going to receive the word that's set before us this morning. If you are, I think there's a lot for us. Recommendation. 
don't say not so and Lord in the same sentence. <laughs> don't ever do it. <laughs> I'm thankful for Peter, to be honest. I've learned a lot from his examples what not to do. <laughs> but I also learn a lot from him in what to do and how faithful God is. You see, Peter was making progress and working through his prejudices, but he was far from liberated. Um, so how are you doing with yours? Let's get personal. How are you doing with your prejudices? Um, there's color prejudice of the day, denominational prejudice. That's one of mine that I'm guilty of. Pray for me in that. Um, class prejudice or caste system. We do it whether we say so or not. Um, some are so into their political party, I wonder if they would even witness to someone who's of the other party. I mean, honestly, that's how twisted we are, guys, and biased. Peter's vision here. Uh, denied any distinction between clean and unclean, right? God made that clear. Hey, there is no distinction here. Now let's look at the next step, verse 17. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquire of Simon's house and stood before the gate, and they called and they asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And Peter thought about the vision, and the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And then Peter went down to the men with, or who had been sent from or to him by Cornelius and said, Yes, I am whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied them. Now it seemed like Peter learned best in threes. Are you guys catching that this morning? We know the, the crow uh, <laughs> the crowed uh, three times. We have him denying Jesus three times. There was a three-fold restoration that took place in John 21 with Peter. Now there's this three-sheet drop, and then three Gentiles show up at his door. Okay? <laughs> so you might be like me or Peter. <laughs> God has to show you something over and over again, but isn't he faithful to do that? He's going to make it clear. He's not a God of confusion. Okay? He's going to make things clear for you and I. So let's look at this meeting with Peter. Verse 24, The following day they entered Caesarea, and Cornelius was waiting for them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. And Peter was coming in. Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted up and said, Stand up. I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and he found many who came or had come together. And then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation? But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for, 
I ask then, for what reason have you sent me? So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and in the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. Your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. And when he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Now, this debrief each other of this divinely synchronized vision. Verse 34, Peter goes on to talk about meeting Jesus. He says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to his children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did, both in the land of the Jews in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to the witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people, and to testify that he who was ordered or ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Whew! I think Cornelius and everybody there was pretty stoked to hear what Peter had to say. Absolutely. I love verse 34 and 35 here. 34, no respecter of persons. Don't you love that? You might think you're all in and you got something up on the rest of us here this morning. A little extra favor with God. You know. God's not, don't you love that? You know, that should teach us a lot. He's not a respecter of persons and he's no respecter of nations either. Verse 35 makes that clear. So God offers himself to all men who will fear God and do what is right. Pretty clear. We're all in the same playing field. So Peter's three keys. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 16 together. Um, You guys are familiar with this passage, but I think it is good for us to revisit because there is something that I think is very... um, needed for us to appropriate in our lives as we walk with Jesus, as we shine in this world as light and salt. In Matthew 16, verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, hey, who do men say that I am, the Son of Man am? 
And they said, some say that uh, John the Baptist. Well, some say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Some people struggle with this passage. What is it saying? What is it meaning? I love studying the book of Acts with you guys. Because we see this teaching that Jesus gave. What he revealed to Peter about bounding and loosing taking place right before us this morning in Acts chapter 10. Let's turn back there. And let's consider this together for a moment. Peter was told that he would possess the keys to be able to bind and loose people. That's what he was told. So these were decisions Peter was to implement as he received instruction from heaven in for the binding and loosing when it would occur for the first time. You see, Peter simply carried out God's directions. That's what he was asked to do. This privilege of binding and loosing was seen in Peter's life as he had the privilege on the day of Pentecost when he was proclaiming the gospel and announcing in all those who responded in saving faith that their sins had been forgiven. Wow! You guys were bound in your sin. But this is what God has done. This is who Jesus is. This is what the cross was about. And he's alive today. And if you receive that by faith, receiving the good news, the message, you're free. You've been set loose, right? So he was able to do the same thing again as we saw in chapter 8 with the Samaritans. And it's interesting, okay? We see it now in chapter 10 with Cornelius and his household, but it's interesting each deal with breaking cultural barriers. Isn't that kind of cool to think of? Is Peter's going forth. And he's sharing the good news. These cultural barriers are being broken one by one. At Pentecost, the gospel transitioned from uh, the Hebrew-speaking Jews to Greek-speaking Jews in Samaria. The gospel transitioned then to the half-Jews, half-Samaritans uh, or Gentiles uh, that we saw. And then here we see the gospel transition now to the Gentiles, right? Verse 39, okay? We're all witnesses of all these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, who they killed by hanging on a tree. So he's speaking to them in terms they'll understand. I talked before about contextualizing earlier. Here's a very good example of that. Okay, how he doesn't change the gospel, but he tailored it to the Gentiles that they would understand what he's talking about. Okay? Honestly, if I was sitting here this morning talking Acts chapter 10 with a bunch of people who didn't have faith in Christ, didn't know him, their spiritual eyes weren't open. The way I'd be sharing this morning, the message wouldn't change, but the way I would share it would radically change. Okay? And that's what Peter's doing here with these guys, speaking to them in ways they understand. They killed by hanging, nailing on a, 
on a tree. Okay, he didn't use that or this earlier with the Jews. In verse 43, to him all the prophets witnessed that through his name, whoever believes in his name will receive remission of sin. Whoever. You know, are you a so whoever? <laughs> I hope so. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel is for all, guys. I love it. Cornelius, already a worshiper of the true God, so accepted in order to obtain further blessings of Christ. So now religion is meeting relationship. Beautiful. Don't we pray for that to happen? I know religious people. <laughs> I'm praying for that relationship part. You know, that's what we need. Because religion without relationship is absolutely nothing. We'll do nothing. So, um, we see that happening. You ever speak to somebody that's so ripe? They're just like, hey, I'm ready to pray to receive Jesus my Lord Savior. <laughs> you know, I, have, I can't count how many people. I mean, there's been so many through the years. I'm ready. How do I get saved? You know, I'm, I'm in. What do I need to do? They're just right there. And it's so cool because God is at work. You guys know that? He is alive still today and he's working on people's hearts. I love it. So let's break this down just a little bit. There's a very strong uh, affirmation. To him, all the prophets witness. Okay? We also see that there's one way, right? That through his name, that is how a way a person gets saved. It's through Jesus, right? In very simple means. We want to complicate it. It's not works-based. The means is simple. Whoever believes in him. Grace, you can believe or not. That's all you got to do. It's a faith thing. And then there's a definite statement given, will receive remission of sins. You know? And I love that surety that we have in the gospel message. It's not wishful thinking. No, it's an absolute. If you believe in him, you will be forgiven. You will get to go spend all time with Jesus. It's awesome. All right, verse 44. We see a meeting, uh, meeting the Holy Spirit take place here. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles also. And they heard them speak with tongues, and they magnified God. And then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he com or commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So here is the Gentile Pentecost. <laughs> okay, um, Peter never got to finish the sermon when he said, whoever believes in him will receive remissions of sin. They received, they were saved. Just like that. Okay, there wasn't an altar call. No, we heard the word and we believed. And that happens. Maybe that happened here this morning. We've been going through a gospel. Truth is going forward, and you're just like, yep. <laughs> I'm going to agree with God. I believe this. The second you believe, you're saved. Isn't that beautiful, guys? The second. It's not like you've got to go do through this time, or you need some time to pass before salvation can be completed. And you're like, no. Jesus has done all the work. The second we believe, 
It's beautiful. So, uh, verse 44 and 45, signed from heaven, just like when the Jewish believers were admitted, uh, Pentecost, okay, the Holy Spirit. You guys understand when a person comes to faith in Christ, you're born again of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit, like here, may manifest itself in one of the gifts, like speaking in tongues or something, but that's as he gives gifts. Sometimes that happens to people, sometimes it doesn't. But what does happen is when you do come to faith in Christ, you're born again in the Spirit. Your Spirit's going to testify. The second you're saved, your eyes open. You just, it's a spiritual thing. It's something you've never known before. You can't understand. You just know. The Bible says it's born again thing. It's true because, man, something's going on. I see clearly now. I know Jesus is God and he's Savior and he's alive and he's forgiven me and I'm going to heaven because of him. It just all is crystal clear. There's no more doubt. It's just there. So, verse 47. What does Peter do? Immediately called for baptism, pointing to full inclusion into the Christian community. You know, and that's something we ask you to do. If you have been born again, hey, get baptized publicly. Go public with your faith. Say, yeah, I'm identifying with Christ. I'm a part of his bride, a part of the church now so i'd encourage you we'll have a baptism this july talk to me if you want to get baptized if you're a believer and haven't been you should so i want to wrap up with something this morning um that's going to make us think a little bit okay um i want to i want to consider with you this morning what's the most critical thing that the church is facing today that christians today um what are our issues? What's the biggest? It's not abortion. And you guys know how much I hate abortion. It's not pornography. It's not disintegration of family or moral absolutes. MTV, drugs, racism, sexuality, prayer issues and school I believe the critical issue of today is dullness. The good news no longer is good news. It's okay news. Christianity is no longer life-changing. It's life-enhancing. The most critical issue facing unbelievers today is one thing. It's Jesus. Period. You cannot go on being a good egg forever. You must either hatch or rot. That's it. So anyone ready to hatch into his kingdom this morning? I hope so. I'd like you guys to stand with me. After we're done praying, there's going to be a few folks up here that would love to talk with you, pray with you, anything going on. It is good to pray. But one thing I want to ask you guys to do this week is to really pray into what we concluded with this morning. Is there really a dullness in the church? And if so, what would God be asking me personally to do to counteract that? 
So, Father, we do just simply want to ask of you um, to do only what you can do. You're on the throne. You're in control. We know that. We also know that you've asked us to respond. There's things that you've committed to us that you're asking us to be faithful with. There's this great message, truly the best news of all time that you've asked us to go share with this world. We want to be faithful in doing that, Father. Lord, I pray that you'd stir us up, that you'd help us to see others as you see them. I think for some of us here this morning, we've, we've been in church a long time. Uh, there's a lot of things that we, we hold too tightly that you may be wanting to pry from our hands, to take away, and, and asking us to see things differently in a new light. God, we're never going to forsake your word. We know that doesn't change. <laughs> but there are, there are people that need to be reached, Father. And we, we ask, God, that we would be able to humble ourselves, Lord, and do whatever is needed to share that good news with all. So we pray, Lord, you just keep us sensitive to your spirit. Help us to see others as you see them. Help us to be in tune with your heart, your heartbeat, that ours would be the same with you, Father. And we know that just comes by keeping in step with your spirit. So we ask that you'd help us to do that. Father, give us the grace needed. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen? Amen. Amen. Awesome.